Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And I'm going to start by reading Psalm 71. Uh, Psalm 71 uh, is one of those psalms that it doesn't tell us who wrote it. I believe David wrote it, but I can't prove it. There are a lot of uh, scholars who are adamant that David did indeed write it. And there are scholars who say, no, this is not a psalm of David. But it's clearly somebody who memorized a lot of David's psalms because there's a lot of lines that appear in David's writings. But I do think it fits with David near the end of his life. This is clearly uh, authored by an uh, older uh, believer, an Old Testament believer. And uh, you'll hear the hearts cry in this thing. There are, there are a couple things that we'll point out. Uh, but let's just go ahead and read the whole thing. It's not super long, about a page. Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I've been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall continually shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails, for my enemies speak against me. And those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me, until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Highlight that verse, the second half of verse 18. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe trouble, trouble shall revive me again and bring me up from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also, with the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. Now, this is, uh, like I said, this is, the, the, this, is the, this is somebody in old age whose heart's cry is to remain effective in ministry. 
don't let me pass from this earth until I declare you to this generation. Don't forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. This is what he wants. He, he, he looks back. He understands he has been effective. And again, if, if, you, if, if you operate on the assumption that this is David, it helps us get a clearer picture. We know what he's done for God. We know what he has accomplished. We look, know what he's written, what he has established. But he's saying there's a new generation that I desire to declare you to. And he wants his legacy to be that his words and his life continue to speak to future generations. And I guess when I was reading this, it kind of hit me because it only recently became clear to me that I am older than I feel sometimes. I still, in my mind, I still have, uh, I still maintain a childlike wonder uh, you know, I joke a lot about the weather, but I still love the snow just like I loved it when I was five years old. I still love looking at the stars like I did when I was nine, ten years old. A lot of these things. There, there are things that are childlike that, that are not childish. I don't feel that there's biblical reason to lay them down, you know, lay aside childish things. I think I can still appreciate and have a childlike sense of wonder about some things. And I still, I don't know, still in my mind, I still think sometimes like a kid, I guess. But I'm 54 years old. Now, come on. I mean, I'm going to try that again, only this time say, <gasps> no way. I'm 54 years old. I know, right? I'll be 55 this summer. <laughs> now, come on. That's just simple math, and if that shocks you, we got another problem, right? So as a, as a 54-year-old man, I do not necessarily claim the status of uh, an elder statesman. But let me, let me back up here a little bit. I have a friend, a couple, couple friends. I have a couple friends. What do you have? I, I, uh, <gasps> no way. <laughs> All right. Let's knock that off right now. Nip it, Andy. Nip it. Nip it right in the butt. General Jackson. How many of the men remember when uh, Mark Jackson was here speaking to the men for our men's night out? He, was, uh, he and I were having a conversation years ago uh, when he was battalion commander of our old unit where we served together as lieutenants. And here was Lieutenant Colonel Jackson getting ready to take that unit to Iraq. And I think, uh, I think Mark was 38, 39 at the time. And, and I remember having this conversation with him. I said, man, you know, look back when we were in together, you know, in the 80s. And uh, especially as young lieutenants, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was enough for a Lieutenant Colonel to walk in the room. It would kind of be one of these moments where you just kind of watch it. You know, it's like that, that, that was enough brass to give a young lieutenant uh, a, a little case of the nerves. And uh, our, you know, our battalion commander seemed like an old man. Now, he probably was older than, than Mark was at the time. But I told him this. I said, man, here you are. You know, and, and, and Mark's got still kind of a boyish appearance. And I remember telling him, I said, look at you, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Jackson. Do you remember our battalion commanders? Do you remember the brigade staff? These guys seemed so old back then. He said, they were. They were old. And I'm not. And I remember having a similar conversation with another friend of mine who we, we, we joined together and served together for, uh, for a few years, and he stayed in. And I remember running into him years later. This is a guy I was very, very close to in high school and college and hadn't seen in a number of years. I drove by his parents' house, saw his car. I went in uh, to his backyard looking for him, and there he was, a lieutenant colonel. And I said, isn't it weird 
to look at yourself in the mirror, do you ever sit there and think, does it, does it seem like you've come this way? He said, no, it seems like yesterday we were, we were lieutenants. It seems like yesterday we were in ROTC. I said, Don't, do, you, do you feel as old as those lieutenant colonels seemed back then? He goes, no, I still feel like a kid. And he said this. I'm not sure how much, how universal this is, but it really struck a chord with me. He said, do you know why we feel that way, Scott? I said, why? He said, because our parents are still alive. We feel like kids because we're still kids of living parents. And there's sort of a, uh, a moment, maybe a transition that takes place. I don't know. And I thank God my parents are still alive. So in that sense, there's this thinking, even though I am 54. And I have a twin sister, but I won't tell you how old she is because women are more sensitive about that stuff. Even though I'm 54, there still remains this sense that I am the next generation. But the next generation and the next generation are already in this church. Things move quickly. And it's good to stop every now and then. Take stock. Where are we? What are we doing? Not just in our own lives, not just in our family's lives but for the next generation. I also know, and it's kind of funny, uh, because a number of you have been here for many years. There are a number of you in this room where my, my father, Larry Millis, is the first pastor you had, or he was the, the pastor that you uh, served God under the longest. And so to many of you, I'm still the son you, and and I'm, not, I'm not offended by that. Don't get me wrong. I, I knew, you know, this was some of the things we had to process before we came over here. You know, am I ever going to be really received as a pastor of this church? Am I just going to be the pastor's son? I don't care. I know I'm confident in my gifts and my callings, and I understand. I'm not trying. Don't you dare think of my dad as your pastor. His day's past. This is the Joshua generation. I want to punch people that talk like that because we honor and we respect those who've gone before. We all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I remember, uh, remember Joe Morris he used to say this. He said, I'm a young man living in an outpouring. And he wasn't a kid when he said that. I don't know how old Joe is. He's older than me. So he's not old, old, you know, not necessarily. But, but that, that bugs me. I think, look at my kids, you know, who are, how old are you guys now? 11, 12? I can, somewhere in there. They are almost 14 and 15. And I remember thinking, I still remember very clearly thinking how old 40 seemed when I was that age. And I think, they can't possibly really look at me and think I'm old, old. You don't, do you? <laughs> oh, Rainy will just flat out say it. She's cold-blooded. She is a sweet, sweet girl, but she says the coldest things just because they're true. Yeah, Dad, but you're old. Yeah, Dad, but you're old. Dad, you can't sing. That's not even true. Have I, t- I tell you the singing thing? Did I tell you how she heard me? I was telling somebody that recently. I can sing, all right? I was in chorus in high school, so obviously I can sing. That's a, that's a very young boy. And uh, my wife used to like it when I sang to her. And uh, I, just, I, was, I just enjoy singing. And man, if I open my mouth to sing, my daughter's like, Dad, stop! Stop! You're ruining it! You're ruining everything! You can't sing! 
It hurts. It, it's not, it doesn't just hurt my feelings. It doesn't really hurt my feelings, but it's shaken my confidence. Now I don't want to sing as much anymore. So when the Lord convicts me, my son, Scott, why do you not sing to me? I say, it's my daughter's fault. And the psalmist here, and thank God, I'm not, I'm not where the psalmist is, but you look, this is a psalmist, and again, this is especially poignant if you do think it's David, and I do. He's lamenting the fact that he's gotten to the point in his life where people are beginning to write him off. And it's interesting, and it blesses me, that his concern is not just for his own legacy. It's that I still have something to share with this generation and I want to share it, and I want it to be remembered for the generations that follow. Also, along that line, look at what he says. After he makes this case and describes his situation, look how many verses talk specifically about praise and worship and proclaiming God's promises. Verse 6, my praise shall be continually of you. Verse 8, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Verse 15, my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. Verse 22, also with the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. Verse 23, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. Verse 24, my tongue shall also talk of your righteousness all the day long. I was actually meditating on this psalm after I received an email from uh, a younger member of our congregation, and I'm going to share that with you. And I'll leave some names out of this, not that they would mean much to you guys. Uh, but uh, Will and Nicole went and visited uh, a church that uh, were, were good, good friends of theirs, and mine for that matter, our associate pastors. And so we went to so-and-so's church on Sunday. Their main pastor was sick, so they had someone else preach. Well, things were wrong, and so-and-so and so-and-so were upset, naturally. But we all noticed that what he was saying was so wrong because Pastor Scott had drilled in our heads what the truth is. So thank you. It's a true blessing to know we can say, hmm, would Scott ever say that? <laughs> and I jokingly responded, we need bracelets for the church that say WWSS. What would Scott say, right? But, and her point really was not, look at what Scott has done for us. But the fact, it, it, it was more, it was, the point was more broad. We have been rooted and grounded in truth for a number of years. First at, at BCC, then at Living Word, where they know what the truth is. And so when they hear something that doesn't line up, they immediately recognize it as something wrong. And so I asked... Uh, you know, what was, what was, I asked a question, was, was he preaching on this? And she said, more or less, and, taught, and, and gave some details about what, the, what bothered them, and it bothered me too. I kind of confirmed, yeah, that's kind of the wrong angle. But here's, uh, we talk about the, uh, the doctrinal issues for a minute, and then she says this. I think what is worse is that their church is 90% new believers. So it made us upset that people new to the faith were hearing incorrect teaching. Otherwise, it's a great place. So filled with young people, it felt strange. I kept looking around thinking, where is everyone over 55? Where are the older believers to keep everyone in check? That is a refreshing attitude coming from a young person. Then I got this from Brian the other day. So it was during the deep freeze, or shortly afterward. 
I wanted to tell you about a situation I ran into last week. I was sitting at home watching a little TV when I got a text from one of my tenants. We have no water. We did an hour ago, and now we don't. My stomach sank knowing that I had failed to remember to take proper precautions for the sub-zero temperatures. I wrote back and asked if she knew if the other tenant in the duplex had any. She had already gone over and asked, and they did not either. We finished our texting, and I told Aaron about it. I knew I had to go look at it. Thoughts of frozen lines, broken pipes, how long there would be no water, and if I needed to start booking hotels for tenants flooded my head, and I questioned what I could do about it with the material I had in my garage at 10.30 at night. Now, before I go any further, this is where I need to point out the importance of having a like-minded, godly spouse. As I told Erin I was going to head out there, she stopped me and said that we needed to pray. We thanked God for favor in the situation, wisdom, and a quick fix. I grabbed what I could in my garage to cover all the crawl space vents to prevent as much wind and, ins- uh, and stop and, and as much insulation as I could. I blocked all the vents and shut the power off to the well so that if anything did break, it wouldn't just run all night. I said I would call a plumber to give a look as soon as I could. I called a plumber the next day as soon as they opened, half expecting there to be a backlog of calls. Surely this wasn't the o- I wasn't the only person to have this problem. I called at 8 a.m., and someone was there at 9.30. Pipes were thawed out. Water was turned back on. There were no broken lines. Praise God. Even though I had not done my part to prevent the crisis, God's mercy and protection was still there. Not only did God protect me, but he also used this as a lesson. God's provision does not rest on my works, but in his love for me. This is the kind of thing. Well, let me read one more thing from Jenny Good. Told you, gave you the praise report uh, last week, right? About her cutting back on her meds uh, after we had prayed for her. And she said this uh, on Wednesday, I feel like I'm bombarding you with praise reports, and I apologize, but the ball is rolling fast. I was just able to bicycle for seven minutes straight on my own. Every other time, someone has had to move my left leg for me, but I was moving it 100% on my own. Now, what excites me about all three of these are people taking ownership of their faith, putting action to their faith, living this stuff out. You know, it's uh, absolutely We want to hear from our missionaries, our ministers. I want to hear about great meetings. I want to hear about salvations, baptisms, healings, deliverance, all this. But it blesses me right here in St. Joseph, Illinois, to hear people in our midst applying the word of God to plumbing issues, to landlord issues, to life issues. This is where we live. It's not just about the big meeting. at, at the end of the day, what's it about? It's about salvation. It's about bringing as many people into the kingdom of God as possible. It's our mission. But one of the things that we have, one of the biggest tools on our tool belt, is living a life that God has blessed and giving God the glory for it. If we give and if we pray and if we read and if we go to church and our first reaction to trouble is, oh no, thanks a lot, God. Or we just leave God out of it continually and we just complain and we fret and we don't give God the opportunity to intervene. What would have happened if Aaron hadn't said, hey, let's pray before you walk out the door? I don't know. But I know what happened when she said, let's pray. 
We cannot ignore God even in the little situations of our life and then wonder why things go horribly wrong. Invite him into every situation, into life. And let's know his word so well that when we walk into a strange place and we hear strange doctrine, we recognize it as strange doctrine. Let's receive the word of healing and get on the bike and pedal. Let's get on there and do everything we physically can in expectation of full manifestation of that healing instead of lying back and waiting for something to happen. And these are youngish believers. Brian and Aaron are kind of on the cusp there, all right? We have to be living this stuff out so that we can communicate it to the next generation. And we have to communicate it, all right? We really have to. I, I used to love the, the uh, I've shared this quote with you before. I think it was St. Augustine who said, uh, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And that's kind of cute, but it's also kind of silly. Because if we're going to preach the gospel, we must use words, Period. It is, it is absolutely a preaching issue. Living the gospel, preaching the gospel with our lives is necessary only because that sets the stage and it allows us and gives us moral authority to preach the gospel with our mouths. All right? We as older, mature believers have to be careful that what we are defending and communicating is truth and right doctrine. And we have to do this defending and communicating in love. We have to be careful not to fall into the trap of traditions. You have heard horror stories, I'm sure. I certainly have as a minister all these years of churches that have fallen apart, split over things like carpet or remodeling. Well, I quit going to that church because they got rid of the pews, and my Aunt Harriet bought one of those pews back in 19... 42. It's been there ever since. And if they don't care about that, then I have no use for that church. Thing, I'm, I'm not exaggerating very much. Things like this really do happen. I was on the committee that put that orange carpet down, and now they want to tear it up only 35 years later. <laughs> and those might be extreme examples. Those aren't exaggerations. People have, have really quit over, over silly things like that. And they, they, even though they're extreme, they're not made up. But we still have to examine if there's something we don't like about a change. Is it just because this ain't the way we're used to it? Or is it because it's doctrinally wrong? All right? Things can change for the good as we grow. Things can change that might be a, a neutral thing. might be nothing doctrinal about it. You know? Uh, you go back to the old days of the, of the old building where we didn't have air conditioning. Now we're in a building where we have air conditioning. Is there a doctrinal issue there? Not at all. Anybody offended that we have air conditioning or heat? Maybe we'll say heat now, okay? Younger, newer believers, they need to be taught that just because something like a song is old doesn't mean it's obsolete. We don't stop doing something just because it's old. But the burden of patience is on the mature believer. You understand that? As we wrestle through these things, yeah, there are things the young believers are going to have to get through their heads, but we who are older and mature have got to be the adults while we walk through these changes. We all need to remember what we are here for. 
and I mean here. It's okay to remember where we all came from. You know, the Israelites, think about this. They lived in the constant, manifest, miraculous provision. I'm talking about the manna specifically, but also the cloud, also the pillar of fire. But thinking about the manna, for 40 years, they lived daily with a visible, tangible, edible miracle. This wasn't just something conceptual. God was raining down food for them on a daily basis. But they didn't stay in the desert. The manna stopped the day they crossed into the land of promise. Do you think there were people who thought, well, now we're going to have to till gardens and now we're going to have to uh, pick some things. Maybe we should. What's wrong with the desert? We've been, we've been getting by just fine for 40 years. Let's just stay out here with the cloud and the fire and the manna. It wasn't God's plan, though, was it? You know, they built a memorial when they crossed the Jordan into the land of promise. Do you remember they built a memorial of stones right there to commemorate this passage, this transition? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with memorials. But you know what? They didn't worship that. They didn't even worship there. That memorial wasn't a temple. It wasn't an altar. It wasn't an idol. And we come into Living Word Family Church building. I have a friend, good, dear friend of mine who pastors. He, won't, he will never call his building a church. He calls it the meeting house because he is adamant that the church is people. And I get that. But if I say I'm going down to the church, don't get legalistic on me. You know what I mean. I mean going down to the building. But we come into this building, and it's good to remember our heritage. And it's good that we honor founders, not just Larry, Larry and Pam Millis, but I'm talking about people who are right here in this room today who have been part of this congregation from the beginning. But the church's mission is not to perpetuate the legacy of a man or a group of men. When I was at VCC in Farmer City, I don't know how many of you knew Brad Dawson. Uh, great man, great pastor, great friend of this ministry. And when he passed, uh, I was invited to come fill the pulpit for, for, a, for a while while they did kind of a pastor search. I had, I had filled the pulpit during his illness, and, and I knew a lot of the people over there. And when we went over there, kind of as on this interim basis, it just turned out to be a good fit. We stayed for six years. And uh, one of the things that I would hear very frequently, somebody would get up to share something. And this isn't, this isn't a bad thing. I just want you to understand how it sounded to some other people. Very often, some of the people who had been there for many, many years, even from the beginning, would get up and they would say, you know, I don't know how many of you remember Pastor Brad, but Pastor Brad would always do this as Pastor Brad used to say. And they would uh, share something, and it was often something good. Sometimes they were just reminiscing. Sometimes it would just be brought in uh, a kind of on the oblique during a, a, something else they were sharing. And I, had, I never thought a thing about it because I knew Brad. I appreciated Brad. But I had somebody come up to me who was a newer member of the congregation, and they came up and they say, you know, uh, I guess this is a criticism. I'm just letting you know if you hadn't thought about it. There are several of us here who have no idea who Pastor Brad was. And every time he's talked about, like he was today, we feel like second-class church members. I'm like, wow. And 
it just kind of made me stop and think, let's, let's just, doesn't mean we stop, okay, let's, let's, let's go tear down the plaque of, uh, of the, the, 20, what is the 25-year plaque out there. That's not what we're talking about at all. I'm saying this more to people. This has nothing to do uh, with my dad or my family. It has, it has to do with those of us who have been here for a long time. You are not royalty. Okay? There, there is absolutely something valuable about faithfulness and steadfastness. But you don't outrank the new believer by virtue of the fact that you were here the first day we had service in this building, that you were one of the, that one of the handful of us that were on that stage in the high school the first time we had service, or the first time we met in the living room. It doesn't get you anything in the kingdom of God, is what I'm saying. There are people who have been here for decades and sometimes I scratch my head and I think, what have you done? Sometimes I look at my life. Say, what have I done? I've been a believer for 40 years. And I look at, you know, every now and then I'll pick up the No Compromise, the biography of Keith Green. I know I've talked about him before. How many of you are familiar with Keith Green, the singer, contemporary Christian singer, 70s and 80s? Uh, Guy got saved at age 20, I think, 20 or 21. He's a musician out in the hippie scene and on the West Coast. Uh, got saved and immediately started ministering to people. Started singing Christian songs, writing Christian songs, doing concerts, inviting people into his home, writing, writing tracks, all this stuff. I mean, was traveling all over the world, and in particularly the United States, launched so many people into the ministry through his concerts. His concerts weren't just concerts. They were ministry events where people would come by the hundreds, even thousands, in repentance, crying out to God. Just made this immense mark, and and his ministry continues to today. Died at age 28. Look what this guy did in seven years. And what's taken me so long? What's taken you so long? There's a vertical aspect to our purpose. When I say vertical, I mean the direction to God. And there's a horizontal one where it's to one another. But those lines are not distinct or exclusive. Let me, let me just look at our, our vision here. Live the gospel, preach the gospel. Live the gospel. Is that vertical or is that horizontal? Preach the gospel. Is that vertical or is that horizontal? They're both both. I live the gospel first and foremost in response to God who has given me certain commands and made certain expectations clear. I'm going to live this way to honor him. I also live the gospel keeping in mind some of the things that were written by Paul, things that were written by Peter. Live your life, conduct yourselves in a certain way among the Gentiles so that when their hour comes, when their day of visitation comes, they'll respond correctly because of how they see God working in your life. I live the gospel for the peep for you. I live the gospel for the unbeliever, and I live the gospel for God. Preach the gospel. Is that vertical or horizontal? Well, my first, my first instinct is, well, that's horizontal. I'm preaching the gospel to unbelievers. But why am I doing that? Because he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the vertical aspect is obedience. The horizontal aspect is because I want to see people saved. So do you. That's not pastor live the gospel and pastor preach the gospel that's not uh, lay people live the gospel pastor preach the gospel it's all of us live the gospel all of us preach the gospel right what are we here for 
There's a thing called the Westminster, Westminster uh, Catechism. And uh, there's, uh, it's uh, based on the Westminster Confession. confession and it's part of uh, what you have to go through to pass this course. You have to answer a number of questions. I don't even know how many. But the first question is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is this, according to the catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think they have it right. And I think everything we do as a church should be a means of equipping and encouraging and facilitating the glorifying of God and the enjoyment of him. Everything we do, every service, every ministry, every conversation, every job can be linked to this. But there are three things we do when we assemble together that take center stage in glorifying God and enjoying him. One of the things we do, we do monthly, and we just did it. We celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. The other two we do every time we're together, every Wednesday and every Sunday. We break the bread of God's word. That's the sermon. And that speaks directly to the texts and the emails that I shared earlier. These things are the, the breaking of the bread of God's word, the sermon, the study, the teaching. All of these things are so that we are equipped to respond to situations, whether it's a physical uh, a disease, an attack, a physical attack, whether it's something that attacks our, our livelihood or our, our peace at home, or whether it's something that challenges our doctrine. We are equipped to deal and respond to these things because of the word. What's the other thing we do when we're together? We worship. We praise and worship. And this is where we are going for the next couple weeks. Maybe even more. The subject of praise and worship is something that several of you have asked for, and I believe the time is right. And it goes back to some of the stuff we were just talking about, specifically uh, to, to complaints. You know, if people talk about, well, you know, I'm used to uh, uh, sitting in a pew. I'm used to the sanctuary looking a certain way. I'm, I'm used to the lighting being a certain way. I can't worship to such and such a song. I miss the old stuff. Or I can't worship in such and such an atmosphere. I'm not used to the lights being down. I'm not used to the lights being up. I'm not used to smoke not being on the stage. I'm not used to smoke being on the stage. I'm not used to guitars. I'm not used to piano. I'm not used to fast songs. I'm not used to name it. I can't worship unless it's a hymn. Is there a right way and a wrong way to worship? What does worship really mean? These are the things we're going to be looking at. You know, one of the distinctives of the charismatic movement, charismatic churches, uh, over the last, uh, certainly the last 40 years, and I know you can go back a lot further than that, but I'm thinking back to the charismatic renewal of the 70s, uh, is that it's not, one of the distinctives is our praise and worship style. It was so revolutionary and so widespread that it's not uncommon to go into what you would formerly call uh, a denominational church and see people with their hands raised. That's not how we worshiped in the church that I grew up in. And you got to understand, I got saved while I was still attending a denominational church. And we would have these things. What were those Sunday, it was Singspiration? Is that the thing we used to do? Maybe it was every month. On a Sunday night, we'd go back. Now, we didn't have evening service, but once a month, we'd go down on Wednesday night and have Singspiration, where all we did for a half hour, 45 minutes, was sing. 
And that was when we broke out the edgy hymnal. It was still a hymnal, but it had newer songs in it. You know, it, it wasn't anything like the stuff we sing now. Uh, but, you know, uh, pass it on, things like that we'd sing. But you know what? I got to say this. Singing never bothered me because I think, as I may have mentioned earlier in this service, I'm a good singer. I, I enjoyed singing, even the old hymns. But when I got saved, when I really made Jesus my Lord, something changed even in the singing of these old hymns. And when we went to these singspirations, something was coming out of my heart. And we were still worshiping like this or like this. What am I saying? I'm saying this isn't wrong. I'm saying worship is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of where the words are. Well, the words should be in a book. No, the words should be on an overhead. No, the words should be back projected uh, by, by these projectors. Praise and worship teams should look like this. They should dress like this. They should play these kinds of instruments. I got to tell you, uh, one of the best things you can do if you need shaken up just a little bit, number one, don't do it on Sunday morning because you belong here. But if there's a special service somewhere, go to some other church, see how they praise and worship. Go to some other country, see how they praise and worship. I know I've told this story before. I know many of you, many of you have been places where it's like this. I have been in services in Mexico. I've been in services in Africa. I haven't done a ton of traveling. But I can remember one service, particularly in Mexico. This was on one of the YWAM trips where you had a keyboard player, you had uh, a, 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 a guitar player, a bass player, and, and always a drummer. And these musicians knew how to play their instruments. And their instruments were probably tuned but they weren't tuned to each other. So everybody individually was probably put playing the song correctly, but everybody's playing in their own key. And it sounded terrible. And there's 300, 400 people. And you know what they're doing? They're not doing this. They're doing this. And they're dancing and they're singing and they're yelling and they're loving Jesus. Why? Because they're worshiping in spirit. The services we, we, we attended in Africa. So uh, how about the lighting, Nicole? Wasn't it something? Wasn't it, wasn't it sweet, just the atmosphere they were able to create in that stick hut in the middle of the desert in the middle of the day? My physical posture of worship was not like this. It was like this because that's where the ceiling was. It wasn't that true out in the Gormachi village, yep. But man, the heart of worship... There's certainly more to true worship than lively physical expression. And we're going to explore that in the weeks to come. But prepare yourselves. I just want you to come in with an open-minded... I, I, this is not going to be uh-oh. Uh, he's going to get on us. He wants to see us dancing. He's going to make me raise my hands. I've told you the story about when Jesse Mathis made me raise my hands and how it set me free, and I'll share that story again. Uh, it's, it's the, what we're going to be talking about really more is what worship is, why we worship. And, uh, and, and you, I want you to be encouraged, but I want you to prepare to be challenged. Okay? Don't come in here with your mind made up about some stuff. Don't stay away. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I'm, I will go on record as saying this. We had a speaker in, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago who, uh, and don't get me wrong, because I, I was blessed by some of the things he did. But I got uncomfortable when he made us start marching around the room 
and he started pointing at people, telling them to do certain things. There was, he didn't cross a line so badly that I felt he had to be rebuked. But the pastor in me rose up and got a little defensive, thinking, you don't come in to this church and start ordering my people around to do things. Now, I, I get his heart was, I just want to see you a little bit freer. But uh, I've, seen, I've seen, I've been in too many meetings where things went bad when you get to about that point. So it's never going to be a matter of, all right, I want you guys to stand up and I want you to start screaming. I want you to start clucking like chickens just because I said so, just because I'm trying to get you to be free. No, no, no. We're going to stay rooted in the scripture, okay? But you're still going to be challenged. I'm going to be challenged. Meanwhile, I want you to understand this. Let's just start with this. Praise and worship is not simply a responsibility we have. This ought to free us up. You know, this is tough. As a parent... Uh, I, I, I've probably been, uh, I'm not sure I have taken the right approach with my, with my children in terms of, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. When it really needs to be more a matter of the heart. It's not a shame on you if you don't raise your hands. It's a matter of what a privilege we have. Do you know what an awesome thing it is? I was teasing about Rainy. It really doesn't hurt me that bad when she tells me I can't sing. Because she's a stupid kid. What does she know, right? <laughs> she's a smart kid. She knows a lot. She just doesn't have an ear for great singing. But I'll tell you this. Number one, I'll t- Rainy can sing. She can. But even if she couldn't, if she ever came to sing to me, no matter how bad her voice was, it would bless me. If your kid can't draw, but they draw you a picture... Is there even an ounce of disappointment in the quality of that drawing? If they write you a poem that doesn't rhyme, does it break your heart that it's spelled wrong, that it doesn't rhyme? This isn't iambic pentameter. No. What are you you receiving? The heart of the child. They're giving this to me. They're singing this to me. They're writing this to me. And I want you to know that this is what God experiences. He's not, ooh, boy. Do you like that song, Jesus? That's not my favorite. I wish I'd go back to this is the day. No, what is he receiving? The heart of worship. Oh, these are my children. Look, they could be at home right now. They came down and they gathered to sing to me. And after this, they're going to talk about the letter I wrote them. This blesses our Lord. The smoke and the lights, there's nothing wrong with those things, but those are for us. They're not for God. If they help us, if they help sort of usher us in, if they make it easier for us to get started, nothing wrong with any of that. We can try a number of different things. But as far as what God receives, it's what's in our heart coming out of our mouths. It's a privilege that the believer has. It's a privilege the unbeliever lacks. Now, who's the believer? Who's the unbeliever? The believer is the one. And it's most of us in this room. For all I know, it's all of us in this room. No, I take that back. It's most of us in this room who have looked at the cross of Christ and recognized that was for me. I was lost in sin. Not because I was the worst guy, not because I was the worst gal in the world, but because I was born a sinner. 
And there was no way for me to be reconciled to God the Creator except through the sacrifice of God the Son. He took my sin, he took your sin, he took our sin, and carried it to the cross and died our death so that he can give us new life, so he can promise us an eternal home in the presence of God, and so that he can equip us, enjoy us, shower us with the blessings that belong to the righteous. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.